been preaching full-time here for seven-ish years, and I'm struck by messages like this on New Year's Day because God is so kind in orchestrating the timing of certain messages. This is one of those days. This morning we begin 2023, and many of you have been called to carry a very heavy burden for the year. The burden of losing a husband or a wife, the burden of single parenting, uh, the burden of having a spouse who does not love you, the burden of not having a dad or a mom, the burden of serious mental illness or debilitating health issues or unbelieving family members of frightening finances, of schooling, of broken relationships, or of loneliness. And then there's the burdens that are coming up in this year that we don't even know about yet. One of the difficulties um, of believing in a sovereign God is that we have to affirm that God has ordained all of the details of our life and he has specifically called us to face those things. Proverbs 69, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So enter Moses this morning on this New Year's Day. Yahweh is calling Moses to face uh, perhaps the most difficult burden in all of the Old Testament. He's to go back to Egypt where he was wanted for murder, he was rejected by his own people, and he's to tell Pharaoh, the king of the most powerful nation on the planet, to let my people go. And Moses has already asked several questions about his mission leading up to this point, and he doesn't feel up to the task, and he is begging God to send someone else and some of you are precisely at that point this morning. God, just I, mercy, I give up. Send someone else. Assign this task to somebody else. Why are you calling me to, to do this burden? I'm not up to it. I'm not equipped. I'm not strong enough, wise enough, brave enough, loving enough to face this. And so perhaps like Moses, you're, you're questioning God's calling of you. And here's the punchline. Like Moses, you're not strong enough. You're not brave enough. You're not loving enough. You're not enough for what God is calling you to this year. You don't have what it takes. But Christ does. And, and, and 20, 2023, the Lord would want you to know this morning that 2023 is not the year of your triumph. It's the year of Christ's triumph in you. That, that's what Moses is going to discover in this Exodus account. That's the promise of the New Testament. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So here's our big idea this morning. 
when God calls you to a specific burden, your success doesn't depend on your ability, but on his power alone. So let's begin then with our doctrine. Uh, Now this is the last bit of dialogue that Moses has with Yahweh at the burning bush before he heads back to Egypt. Uh, In all, we've spent seven messages uh, on this encounter with the Lord at the burning bush. And God has laid out the mission for Moses. He has given him sure promises of success. And he has answered all of his questions. Last time we saw Moses starting to object to the mission. Uh, Look at chapter 4 verse 1. This is Moses' first objection. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. God answered that first objection by giving him three indisputable, miraculous signs. This dispels the myth that if we just could see, we would believe, because that wasn't enough for Moses. So Moses brings his second objection, starting in verse 10. But Moses said to Yahweh, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Now, this is not false humility here. Um, Moses is stating a fact. He's not a good speaker. Uh, In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, uh, it translates this slow of speech here as a stutter. Moses apparently had a a stutter of sorts. And, And there's a designed incongruity here. It's a deliciously designed incongruity, in fact. God commissioned Moses, who has a stuttering problem, to a speaking ministry, to the greatest speaking ministry of the Old Testament. He's supposed to speak commands to the king of Egypt and to speak freedom to captive Israel, and he stuttered. That is designed incongruity. I mean, imagine... God promising me in 2023 that I would play for the NBA. (laughs) And not only would I play for the NBA, but I would be the MVP of the league. Why are you laughing? (laughs) Good grief. Scripture is full of these designed incongruities. We just heard it in in, um, Genesis 18. Sarah giving birth to Isaac at 90 years old. Ouch. Uh, Joseph the slave becoming the second in command to Egypt. Uh, David the teenager fighting a nine and a half foot tall Goliath in battle. A poor Jewish virgin giving birth to the king of kings. God purposely designs incongruities in the very things that he calls us to do. And Moses clearly sees the incongruity here. Uh, God called him to the speaking ministry. He has a speaking problem. 
But Moses makes a disastrous assumption that many of us make as well. He assumed that his success in Egypt depended upon his own ability, upon his own speaking prowess. Moses thought, if I can't speak well, then how could I possibly succeed? So how does God answer? Well, look with me at verse 11. Then Yahweh said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, God is appealing to two things here, his creation and his providence. So let's take those one at a time. First of all, God asks Moses, who made man's mouth? Augustine once said that men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at long courses of rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and yet they pass by themselves without wondering. Pause and wonder at your mouth. Who made God, who made man's mouth? What are all the wonderful things that your mouth does? Your mouth speaks, it sings, it eats, it drinks, it tastes, it laughs, it reveals the heart of man. It speaks life and death. It can confess Christ unto salvation. The, the things that your mouth does far surpasses the glory of the highest mountain and the lowest sea. Who made that? God made that. And at the bottom of this rhetorical question, uh, who made man's mouth? God is appealing to his almighty power. He's saying, Moses, you are right. You're not powerful. Look at me. I made that mouth that you're speaking out of. And I didn't use pre-existing material. I made mouths out of nothing. I didn't use tools. I didn't use a chisel or scissors. I simply spoke. Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Moses, why are you worried about the power over words? I am on your side. Nothing can stop my words. I spoke and said the sea needs to stop here, and the sea has never, ever disobeyed me. Will your stuttering prevent my power? That's God's first appeal to his creation of the human mouth. Secondly, God appeals to his providence, not only over the human mouth, but over all of our other faculties. Continuing in verse 11, he says, Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? 
See, it's not just that God has made the human mouth. He has also determined whether we would be able to use it and our other faculties with skill or whether we would be disabled in some respect. Moses, your stutter came from me. I planned it. I purposed it. I designed it for such a time as this right now. That's the inescapable conclusion. Well, if you you make men mute, I have a stutter, then you made me this way and you're calling me to this. Why? Why would you appoint my tongue to be so defective and then calling me to this great speaking ministry? That brings us then to our doctrine this morning. When God calls you to a specific burden, your success does not depend upon your ability, but on the power of God alone. Let's consider three proofs of this doctrine found elsewhere in Scripture. Proof number one, Gideon and his 300 men. Please turn with me to Judges chapter 7. Here we find that God called Gideon to defeat 135,000 Midianites. Now, children, boys and girls, if you were called to fight 135,000 Midianites, how many soldiers would you want on your side? 500,000? I mean, at least 135,000, right? At least you have shot. 32,000 showed up. Verse 2. But the Lord told him that he had too many men. Too many men? So he sent 22,000 home. So then 10,000 remained. And then God told him again, nope, you still have too many men. Go down to the river and have the men take a drink. And all the men who bend over and drink like a dog... Those are the men you can take with you. So those are the men that are least prepared for battle because they're not aware of their surroundings. 300 men. And then God said, okay, now that's perfect. Now, 300 men, um, that would mean that each of those men would have to kill 450 Gideon, uh, Midianites all by themselves. Do you know who won the battle? Well, the Lord did, didn't he? And he specifically told Gideon why he whittled down this army. Look at verse 2. The Lord says to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. You see, God didn't want Gideon to merely win. He wanted Gideon to win in complete weakness so that the only explanation was the power of the Lord. Proof number two, the uneducated disciples. Please turn with me to Acts chapter four. Now this is where Peter and John are arrested because they healed a lame beggar in the name and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are called before this 
council. Uh, starting in verse 5, this council held a tribunal to have the apostles accountable for the de- their deeds. And they asked them in verse 7, by what power or by what name did you do this? Peter then is filled with the Holy Spirit, picking up in verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no one, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, this was an astonishing speech by a fisherman, by an uneducated, blue-collar, inadequate nobody. And his nobody status was part of the message. Look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John they perce- and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Why do you think that Jesus called ill-equipped, unadequate men like Peter to be part of the disciples that would change the world? So that the only explanation for their success was the power of the risen Christ. Proof number three, Paul and his painful thorn. Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, Paul was the last apostle called. He was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and he would carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. But Jesus, like, uh, Jesus made Paul, like Moses, exceedingly weak. In this task, he gave him a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is, but it vexed him terribly. Look with me at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, if you were called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, what would your prayer perhaps have been like? Lord, I have the most important speaking ministry of the New Testament era. If you remove this thorn from me, it'll be so much easier. I can be so much more effective. I can be so much more powerful in your kingdom if you help me here. How did God answer? Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, Paul, when you are harassed and made weak and in pain, and when people see that, then then people will conclude that no one can take credit for the mighty works done through you except for me alone. He wanted the gospel proclaimed by a weak, harassed apostle so that the world could see 
that the gospel is not an invention of man, but the very power of God. So in summary, beloved, as God calls you, as God calls you to your perhaps burdensome task this year, you may be plagued with weakness or with disability or with many inadequacies, with grief, with ignorance. But don't you see? That's part of the design. It's not an accident. He's not calling you to these burdens to display your prowess. He's calling you to these burdens to display the power of God. Your mountain of inadequacies is precisely what he wants. So that all the world would know that your success did not come from your own power, but from the power of Christ. So that's our doctrine. When God calls you to a specific burden, your success doesn't depend on your own ability, but on the power of God alone. Let's look then at our duty. Let's go back to Exodus 4 and pick up. In verse 12, the Lord says, Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Remember that therefore is connecting to the previous thought. So, God is telling Moses, Go, therefore, in the knowledge that my very power is with you. My almighty power will be with your weak mouth. Now, clearly, Moses had a very specific task, but this same promise of God's power is present with every believer today. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. Ephesians 3.20 or Ephesians 1.19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So then, our first duty then, is in light of this promise and this charge, is to test ourselves. Dear congregation, examine yourself. Is God's power enough for you? Does the God who makes man's mouth have enough resources for your burdens that you will face this year? Moses was in the wrong here precisely because he thought that his own ability was ultimate. And so I would plead with you, don't make that same error. Um, The Puritan Thomas Manton actually claimed that believers doubt and question God's power more than God's will. In other words, Manton is saying that we question God's arm, his might, more than we question his heart. When I I read that in Manton, I'm like, I I don't know. I don't know if that's me. 
You have some proof here. And like a good Puritan, he like, boom, 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 right? So consider, think of God's promise to give Sarah a baby at 90 years old. Did Sarah doubt God's heart or God's power? God's power. L- listen to the verse again. God said to Abraham in Genesis 18, 13, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And then God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? See, God is telling us what was in Sarah's heart. She was doubting God's power, not his heart. So, so sisters in the Lord, for 2023, is there anything that you will face this year that will be too hard for the Lord? Will you laugh like Sarah did? Or think of God's promise to feed Israel in the desert. Did Moses doubt God's heart or his power? He doubted God's power. Listen to the passage, Numbers 11, 21 through 23. But Moses said, now, isn't it funny how you argue with the Lord? I'm sure nobody in this room argues with the Lord, but this is how Moses, the people among whom I am with number 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat, and they will eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? What is Moses doubting? The power of God. God responds to him, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So dear brothers in the Lord, all your responsibilities as you face 2023 this year. Is the, land, is the Lord's hand shortened for anything that you will face? You going to argue with the Lord like this? So that brings us then to our second duty, which is to answer that objection that immediately haunts our heart. You might ask, but what if God's power doesn't come through? What if God doesn't exercise his power in those things that I need most? And that is not hypothetical in this congregation. There are several families in this congregation right now that are facing such hardships that I don't even know how you sleep at night. And and beloved, I am sorry for you. The congregation feels for you and and is, is grieved with you. Does that mean that God's power has failed in your life? No. It just means that in the incomprehensible wisdom of God, He has deemed that you don't need those things that you think you need. In fact, he knows what's best for you. He actually hasn't withheld one good thing from you. Psalm 84, 11, and 12, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing 
does he withhold from those who walk uprightly? O oh, Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Or Psalm 34.10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You hear that? That you actually, even in your hardships, if you seek the Lord, you don't lack any one good thing. No good thing does the Lord withhold from you. So if you, if you think you lack something, if you think you need something, and you don't have it, it's certain that whatever the Lord has determined, that is what you need. And it's what's best for you at this season. His power has not failed you at all. Our third duty then is to meditate on the power of God. Meditate on the power of God. And I, and I don't just mean right now. I mean, take this with you and do this. If, if you're a believer this morning, your, your problem is not that you don't assent to the almighty power of God in your head. Your, your problem is that you don't feast on the almighty power of God in your heart. Um, in this passage, God asks Moses a question. Who made man's mouth? Now, is God just looking for Moses to say, oh, it's you, God. I gave my orthodox belief answer. Is that, is that what God wants from Moses? The devils can do that. The devils affirm that, that God is almighty. What God wants from Moses is he wants Moses to feast on that truth. To bring it down to the roots of his being. To have his roots be watered off of that truth. That's how faith in the power of God grows. That's how courage and, and boldness are born. Don't you remember how God dealt with Job's soul? God is quiet almost the whole book. And then in chapter 37, God starts to speak. And for four chapters, what is God doing to cure Job's soul? He's almost talking about one thing. His almighty power. It's four chapters of concentrated meditation on the power of God. Job 38.4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Oh, the, the moisture in the back this last week, uh, it's our annual flood, right? <laughs> Uh, we had water leaking down into the basement, uh, got carpet all wet. Um, now that fix that we've known about for years is going to take tens of thousands of dollars. It's going to take many, many weeks to fix. Uh, it's going to take lots and lots of digging and lots of lots of men to fix one foundation of one building. God laid the foundation of the world with no money, with no shovel, with, with no time. He simply spoke and the foundation of the world was born. Job 38, 12. 
Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? When was the last time you woke up in the morning and you said, okay, let the sun shine now. Morning, come forth. Have you ever been able to do that? Job 38, 34. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? When was the last time you looked at your watch and said, you know, the, it's, it's about, you know, it's about April. The, the ground needs some moisture. Rain. Have you ever done that? God speaks to the clouds and says, rain and the waters come down. I think many of us as Christians, we, we fall into these deistic, you know, formulations. Well, I know how the rain cycle works. The sun heats up the ocean. The, the water comes up. It comes over the mountains. Who caused that to happen? All you did was describe a process. What makes heat heat? What makes water water? What makes the cloud cycles the cloud cycles? You see, the Lord constantly appeals to his power in creation all the time so that we would see monuments of it and we would trust him. I lift up my eyes to the hills, the mountains. From where does my help come? My help comes from Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 145, 5 through 6, blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in Yahweh, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31, have you not known, have you not heard, Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Even youth shall faint and be weary, but those who wait for Yahweh, those who meditate, trust, hope in him, shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Loved ones, this is how you are to therefore go in the 2023. Go knowing that the creator of heaven and earth is with you. That the God who made man's mouth is with you. What do you need that he cannot supply? Don't, don't doubt his power. Make up your mind on this day, the first day of 2023, that God's power is enough for me. Make up your mind that if you think you lack something, that you think you need something, that God, is, that God will not let you down, but if he doesn't give it, it's because it's what's best for you this year. Make up your mind this year to meditate on the almighty power of God, to feast upon it, that courage would be born. So those are our duties. Let's look finally then at our delight. 
In spite of God laying bare his almighty arm, Moses still digs in with one last objection. Please look at verse 13. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. So he's not only disbelieving God at this point, but he's just, he's straight up disobeying. Think of everything that Moses experienced at this point. He saw the burning bush. He saw a bush that was on fire that wasn't being consumed. He saw his staff be turned into a serpent. He saw his hand become leprous and then whole again. He heard the voice of God. And yet, in spite of all of this, he still wanted to run away. Does that remind you of anybody? What are all the things that you have seen? See, God doesn't hide Moses' sin here. So that we could see that this great man of God suffered from the same type of unbelief and doubt that we often have. To be sure, it's the same type of sin, but God has a remedy of grace here. Please look at verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Stop right there for a second. It's literally, it's the nostrils of Yahweh heated up. And we talked about that. How God is either, he's, he's long-nostrilled, he's, he's slow to anger, but here his nostrils are heated up in the Hebrew. And it was right for, for the Lord to be angry here because Moses was refusing to obey him. It's, it's not surprising that God is angry. He provided proof after proof. What's surprising is not God's anger, but what he does next. Look halfway through verse 14. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. I think this is one of those designed incongruities again. God is angry for disobedient Moses. So what does he do? He sends someone to help. And, and specifically, a Levite, someone from the tribe of the priesthood, his brother. Notice the Lord says, I know that he can speak well, which is interesting because even though Aaron has a, a, a more natural gift of eloquence than Moses, he still needed God to be in his mouth. Look at verse 15. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. Moses was going to be as Elohim or as God to Aaron, meaning that just as Moses was God's prophet, so Aaron would be a prophet to Moses, as it were. So he's a 
priest, he's a prophet. And then finally in verse 17, God tells him, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. God gave Moses this last token of assurance, which was a symbol of authority, in fact, of kingly authority. Pharaoh would have a serpent staff, and Moses would go into his presence with a prophet, a priest, and a kingly serpent staff. So what's the takeaway here, then? Well, for Moses, on on Moses' side of the ledger, God was showing his infinite grace. That even in his, infi- in his fierce anger, he was going to send this prophet and this priest and this kingly authority. And this prophet, this priest, would be glad in his heart to help Moses and to execute his call. Is there a deeper magic for us? I, I know, dear congregation, you can already see it. God gives us more than merely his infinite power to help us fulfill our call. This year, you are not charging into your burdensome task with only the power of God on your side. God has sent you a prophet and a priest and a king. And this prophet and priest has gladness in his heart to help you. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. As we heard from little Susanna today in the Great Commission, he has promised that he will be with you even unto the end of the age. Dear loved ones, perhaps God is calling you again to a burdensome task this year, but take heart. Don't question God's call. Don't look at your own inadequacies. Look at the prophet Christ who speaks to you through his word. Look at the priest Christ who appeases all the wrath that you deserve on his own body. Look at, you have so much more than Aaron had, or th- th- than, than what Moses had. What did Moses have? M- Moses had Aaron, a man who would die. You have Christ the God-man who can never die. Revelation 1, 17 and 18 says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Moses had Aaron, a man who would eventually at one point oppose him and, and speak sinfully against him in Numbers 12, 1 through 6. But you have Christ the one who will stick closer than a brother, the one who has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so therefore, go boldly into 2023. Not because it's going to be easy. Not because you won't have any sorrow or any pain or any hardship, but because Christ, the risen and reigning prophet, priest, and king is with you. You cannot fail. You cannot be overpowered. You're more than a conqueror through him who loves you. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for showing us not only the, the difficult calling that Moses had, but we thank you, Lord, that you are gracious enough to show us his sin and his shortcomings. And we thank you that you were infinitely gracious in sending him a mediator. So, Lord, help us this year to reflect on your almighty power. Help us to remember that you are able far more abundantly to do all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us, the very power that you use to raise your son from the dead. Help us to go knowing that our prophet and priest and king is ever present with us. And that anything that you withhold from us is only for our best good. So we praise you now. Lord, we, we pray that this year would be the year that we could say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.